All right, let's get right into it. Uh, first off, thanks for making time for this, Henry. I know you're busy. Uh, I think the best way to start is for you to briefly introduce yourself and let us know a bit about the man behind Art for Anarchists. After that, I've got a list of questions, uh, 10 or so, and uh, we'll take it from there. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. Thanks awesome. for uh, working with me here. No worries. Sure. So the man behind Art for Anarchists. Uh, I like to say the attitude or the idea behind Art for Anarchists um, and that the whole concept of it being somewhat anonymous is uh, a nod to the whole zeitgeist of blockchain and um, all the way back historically to the cypherpunks and the, the importance of anonymity as it relates to personal privacy, which is a, which is a freedom and a right. That is just something I want to say. And, but as an artist, I, I've been working as an analog artist, in, you know, analog, I say, as in not digital, um, painting and sculpture, two-dimensional, three-dimensional, conceptual uh, installation for about 20 years. Um, it goes back um, to a need for really for uh, healing, a healing process. Uh, art for me, I got into art. This is hard for me, I, a little bit, and we, we'll, I'll get through it though. Um, I got into art as a direct result of a, a series of traumas um, that I couldn't cope with uh, that led to a pretty severe uh, addiction uh, to drugs and a downward spiral in my early 30s that ended me in the hospital um, in inpatient rehab and you know it took me a long time to get get through it and while I was in the hospital um, a doctor had said to me you know you have to find ways of looking at these dark subject matters and concerns that you have outside of yourself and and that just triggered this idea that I could look outside of myself. And so I started to imagine how, and the issues I had, you know, being a post-traumatic uh, disorder sufferer is a lot of ideation on my own mortality and, and death and, and intrusive thoughts. I know this is dark, but we'll, you know, we'll, pop, we'll, we'll dig our way out into the light here soon. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I got out of the hospital, I started to immediately, I had this inclination to look at atrophy and decay and disorder and, you know, nature's taking back kind of, um, you know, what feels grim about the, you know, things falling apart, society falling apart. It was much of what my obsessive concerns are is how society's falling apart. I, a father of many children and, you know, I was then and, you know, I was, so I started photographing uh, dilapidated buildings, abandoned buildings, zombie houses, breaking into, you know, just old skeletal structures and photographing them in such a way that meant to me kind of psychic profile. So the first real series that I, I would say I ever developed was something I called um, uh, bipolar matrix. And it was, a hundred photographs taken over the course of about six months in these abandoned spaces that for me created a complex 
sort of statement on mental health and what it means to be trapped in one's own interpersonal space if it's not healthy. And that really solidified in me of the, the, the notion that I could see outside of myself, I could project outside of myself, I could work outside of myself through all of these subject matters that I felt were reflecting myself and also society in general. Uh, from there, shortly in the same time frame, I won't, we won't worry too much about time frames, but in the same time frame, my brother, who was a, has always been a great inspiration for me as far as pushing me, uh, as he saw, you know, sort of a spark of talent back then, he called me one day and said, you know, I need you to see this. And it was, he was, um, there were four by eight sheets of uh, cold pressed steel and steel comes from the, uh, from the mill with a, a mill scale. And it, they were going to use these sheets of metal to build out a boat dock. So they were stripping the, the mill scale off the metal sheets with uh, hydrochloric acid. And acid, this acid and many different types of acid, they're all accelerators uh, in the oxidation process on metal. And by that, I mean, it accelerates and, and really impregnates the, the field of, you know, why I say the field is like, when you look at a piece of metal, it's like looking at a canvas, right? You mm -hmm. have the field of view. And in that field, the oxidation process was out of control. It was just unbelievable. And it, what I saw in, the, in that metal was, you know, the 20th century post-World War II ABEX, you know, school of the art. I mean, there was, there was Clifford Still and Jackson Pollock and William de Kooning. I mean, I could see all of, you know, just semblances of their art everywhere in the metal. So I, I photographed the metal and I took it home, worked on it in Photoshop, just to sort of pull out what I saw and get to the point where it looked like it looked on the computer the way it looked on the metal. And I realized in that moment that there was something really special to about working on metal. And so I started developing processes, uh, you know, where I was buying metal sheets, putting them into my studio, you know, throwing on a gas mask and, and working out with a, uh, these acids, which led to, you know, bringing in grinders and blow torches and, you know, finally traditional paint mediums. And, um, but the interesting thing about it was that when the work was ready, perfect, beautiful, like if I could hang this hundred pound piece of metal on the wall at the moment of its aesthetic perfection, mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't, it would, it would cease and desist. Like the oxidation turned to black. So I had to document the photo. I had to photograph um, these metal plates, this work that I wanted to show the world. The only way I could is by photographing it. And then the, the, uh, the art object per se was just a photo document of an art process. And so that's where it all began. That's fascinating. Yeah. Jeez. If you have any questions further about that. 
Yeah, I have more. a couple. So like when you're talking about the acid, I imagine like, you know, if something rusts is just going to be red. But in your work, you have so many different colors. You were adding different types of acid or adding you have some chemical like a chemistry background. How, how did you come up with so many colors? No. So how, how, so the oxidation is really about texture. Uh, in the in in the early works, I was fascinated with texture. I also had the sense that energy itself was the subject matter uh, in those works because you you're this alchemical, the alchemical aesthetic is something that's that happens rapidly in a in a short period of time, and the transformation of the of the surface of the substrate which I, you know, I call metal a substrate like canvases that transformation is happening so fast and you know you you literally can see it change go through phases and you know you 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 capture it and it's almost like capturing a car driving past you at 60 miles an hour um so that I, I really started to identify the subject matter of my work as energy and really there's a lot of you know a lot of chaos theory that i you know, would apply uh to my thinking about the work you know in, in that when you look at these fields they you know from a 10-foot perspective let's say you're the viewer in a gallery and you're 10 feet away they have um they have the read of a painting like an abstract painting you really you, you sense something is different that perhaps paint wasn't the only thing used, but it does read like an abstract painting from 10 feet. But then you have this um, sort of intriguing other read, which is that you, because it's a photo rendering from that 10 foot view, you can walk up to the picture and it's as clear from one foot away than it is from 10 feet away, which you cannot have that experience. For, uh, with an actual painting, meaning that from the 10 foot view, you have the painting view. And from a two foot view, you now have, say, 10,000 paintings in front of you. Because from 10 feet away, the read is sort of maximal and real. Up close, all of a sudden, you're awash in this sort of like infinite, you know, value system of details. Mm -hmm. And no matter where you look in the work, it's it's crisp and clear and as abstract as sort of you have a micro and a macro view and they sort of come together and it's a bit of a mind trick i mean when you first have the experience of that it doesn't go out of view like if you if i walk up to a jackson pollock at moma you know um say autumn rhythm and from 10 feet away it's just swirling it's alive it's gestating you know you feel the all the rhythms, what you know, hence the title. You feel the rhythm in his gesturing as he painted it. But when you walk up to it, it completely collapses into sort of like globs of blurry paint. Mm. And it doesn't hold it doesn't hold its greater truth as seen from a distance. And what happens is the greater truth multiplies uh, when you look at a photo rendering of this sort of like energy at play. Um, and so back to your question, the need for me to then to, to bring into the metal traditional mediums, uh, paint in particular, I, I really enjoyed working 
working with watercolor because watercolor, you know, you can, you can be, you can work with opaque, you know, or transparent. And then I realized that I could either let the watercolor dry if I wanted like transparency in the hue where basically because I'm shooting metal, the refractory of light as, as you're documenting the metal, if I'm using, if I allowed that paint to dry, it would just become this beautiful sort of glowing area. And, or if I were to then burn that wet, you know, so you think about watercolor, it's pigment in water, right? Mm -hmm. So that pigment is, you know, it's, it's, not completely um, sort of emulsified in the water. So you can burn it and then it becomes a textural element with color and you get, you're getting relief because that pigment is going to burn and sort of like, you know, just solidify on the surface as, as, a, as a kind of colored char. And again, because you're documenting it with a camera, that, that char becomes a relief texture. And so, in the photo reel, you are able to bring out subtle variances in texture to the like absolute flat or transparent regions. And the whole color palette by design came from uh, mostly bringing in watercolor. I did work with acrylics and oils to a certain extent. Um, but then from there, you know, uh, grinders, heat, um, you know, uh, grinders are fantastic for, you know, for textual anomaly. And then again, I can't say it enough because you're documenting a metal, the refractory of light changes so dramatically by, you know, the, the temperature of the light that you're, you're shooting it, the conditions of shooting the metal. I could literally out of a single metal plate probably create, you know, 10 or 20 variations on a theme hmm. and so that's where the color would come from there's a lot a lot to digest there so i understand there's metal sheets and there's chemical reactions uh using acid but just now you said that you're also you used watercolors and and you were burning the metal as well and then photographing uh, there's like a chemical reaction that I thought was kind of slow. Like you, I thought you were film uh, photographing a sunset. Like it would be like a couple hour process. But uh, at one point there, you said it was actually quite quick, like photographing a car. But you've also got the the pigment in the watercolors and the the burning aspect. I can't imagine how it all comes together. Uh, maybe we'll move on to uh, uh, one of your collections, the Token Metrics of the Soul. So. That was, uh, can, can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, substrates varied. Uh, some were produced on copper. Some were produced on cold pressed or hot pressed steel. Some were produced on a carbide based metals. Um, the, the origin of the token metrics uh, stems from an, a project that got started in 20, 2012. Um, I'm very interested in dialogue um, as, as, a, as the single most important uh, tool we have at resolving all of the problems of the world. And I, I had this idea for a, 
uh, an installation um, work that involved both two-dimensional works, which were the tokenmetrics um, pieces that you see, and then dialogues that I would film uh, with philosophers and spiritual leaders around the world. And in particular, I spent um, six weeks in Jerusalem in, in 2014. And as part of the process, I brought a, uh, an addition of those 38 works with me. Uh, we had 38 interviews. And I actually arrived at the number of works based on the number of interviews. Um, and so as we, and I, I had a, a benefactor at the time, Richard Sands of Constellation Brands, who financed the project, uh, is, um, had hired for me a filmmaker, um, a film company called Blue Sky Project out of New York City. Uh, Emmy award-winning uh, documentary filmmaker was, was my sort of right-hand man on filming these dialogues. And I was partnered up also with a Buberian philosopher out of Manhattan College. And so all of this came together. The whole purpose of the trip to, to Jerusalem was, it was actually started in Germany. Uh, we visited Dachau and we met with some, um, we met with some thinkers on, uh, on and around the idea of dialogue in the peace process, in particular, um, how to avoid another Holocaust was sort of the subject matter mm -hmm. of the German um, part of the trip. And then, but in Jerusalem, it was really focused on spiritual leaders. And so all of this convened there. Um, and unfortunately, we got caught up in what was the, the occupation of Gaza in as a direct result of three teenagers being murdered um, by Hamas, which was a retaliation for a teenage boy named Muhammad Abu Qadir, who was uh, abducted out of a neighborhood outside of Old City, Jerusalem, called Shafka, and he was burned alive by having gasoline poured down his throat and, and set ablaze. Um, so very difficult time. It, it, it all accelerated while we were there. We had gotten through about 18 of our um, 18 of our filmed dialogues with spiritual leaders and everything started falling apart because of the conflict. And um, so it ultimately completely fell apart and we were on, no longer able to, uh, to film the dialogues. Everything was shutting down and uh, we ended up shifting gears uh, through a, a contact that we made to meeting with and discussing what was happening on the ground there with the Palestinian family of Muhammad Abu Qadir. So that got, um, that, it, that, became, that became a massive like transformative experience for me uh, and really changed my whole approach to art um, from settling for the pursuit of aesthetics to needing the, the needing to use the outlet to make a difference in the world and to attack, approach, 
and engage uh, social justice work. Um, so that series comes out of that experience. Mm -hmm. And because that whole project fell apart because of the conflict, I had been sitting on the collection for year, all these years. And I decided um, last year sometime that it was perfectly relevant as a meditation on the crypto technology, uh, in particular, symbolically, the shape of the coin and the circle as a mark in the field of energy. There's, uh, there's a, I'd like to, when we get to starting to talk here about crypt, the crypto blockchain and NFTs, uh, you know, the, 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 the whole movement, the revolution of crypto up to and including this NFT chapter of it, um, you know, is on so many levels activating social justice work. It is liberating uh, people all over the world. The unbanked are being banked. You know, the uninsured are being helped. Um, but yeah, so I, that's where this this particular collection has has finally come to roost here uh, in meditations about um, how the crypto revolution and blockchain and NFT is going to change the world. Okay. So I have some follow-up questions there. Uh, with regard to the NFTs, so you, you had the images digitally because that's how you captured them when the metal was, was changing. And now you're going to turn those into NFTs. Could you explain if that process is complicated at all and what an NFT is and and what's why, why they're so popular now? Yes, sure. Um, well, so why they're so popular is, is a layered, layered question. And I, I think that the real reason why they're popular right now is sort of um, somewhat immature. I think there's a lot of the majority of people that are coming to NFT are following, it's a sort of herd mentality. They're following the natural you know migration here cycle from what was oh let's wrap our mind around crypto you know in blockchain three four five years ago to now let's wrap our mind around this you know infinitely more immaterial and interesting uh concept of the nft or non-fungible token <clears throat> um but before i get into all of, all of what i have to say about this I, you know to, to to your question um no. So was I a digital artist? This is an interesting question. I always documented my original plates, whether I was working on metal or in anything other conceptual to arrive at a photo document. I always documented with a DSLR. In particular, I, li I really like Nikon D800, uh, meaning my work is captured and brought in to Photoshop in a raw file and then brought back to life to what you see on the metal itself, what the artist sees, right? The artist's vision has to be interpreted through the tech. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the platform is Photoshop for me. I've, I've been working with it for, you know, for almost, well, almost since the beginning. But that there isn't in, in the original works, not works that I'm doing now, but in the original works, 
the uh, these older works, the collection in particular we're talking about, it's digital only to the extent that it had to be brought from the analog world into a digital world in order to arrive at the output format of a monoprint or a gicle, you know, something museum grade for my collector base. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, you know, the criticism of my my two-dimensional analog art career, if, if you want to call it criticism, was that most critics look at what I'm doing as creating something that isn't true. Like, so it looks like a painting, but it's a photograph. Well, why aren't you hanging the original? Because the original can't be hung because it no longer exists because you can't control the process of oxidation or in everything that I've ever done um, in my analog career was always by design could only be rendered as an addition or a monoprint. And the, 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 the word immaterial comes up a lot in, in reviews of my shows grappling with the immaterial and that the original no longer exists, but mm. But then you have this quandary of what what does original mean, right? If the artist's intention is to put this on the wall, then this is the original intention, mm-hmm. right? That it, you know, you're obsessed with what happened in the process to arrive at an original, not you're not thinking about the original. But so the the, the concept of the immaterial, which is extremely important to NFTs in wrapping one's head around the idea of NFT and why they're important, valuable, uh, transformative, revolutionary, et cetera. You know, we're going to have to grapple with, you know, the, the shift in what is value and how is, how does, how do things acquire value and what is valuable? Um, so yeah, I think that's hard for a lot of people, you know, like I think when Bitcoin first came out, everyone said, Oh, that can't be worth anything because you can't put it in your hand. But uh, now more and more people are seeing the value of Bitcoin. But this uh, NFT trend, it's, uh, I think it's hard for a lot of people. You know, if, if I might sort of walk you through a, sort of an art historical little journey to the NFT, I, I think that's a, a helpful thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because the NFT market, it's non-fungible token. What are we doing? We're assigning metadata and minting a coin and this coin contains a you know a digital replica of an original art piece um the nft itself by design that it's ledgered on the blockchain immutable um and proof of ownership is solidified makes the process of minting and selling an nft selling an original it is the only way that has, it has ever been possible to take a digital, an image in the digital world and make it an original. That's a first most important point. People say, well, I can just copy that. I can copy and paste it. I can you know, screenshot it and share it. Mm-hmm. But you are not sharing the original and by that i mean you are not you're not opening whatever marketplace or platform that you're sharing it to you're not opening 
that platform to the uh, the original intended dialogue between the artist and the viewer because that person that clicks shares that's it it's closed to the artist's intention we're talking about a revolution right what people use the word revolution so what is the revolution the revolution is um it's anti-capitalist it's anti-corporatocracy it's you know it's about liberating the masses from you know we could say sort of dramatize say the tyranny of control mechanisms over how we how we live how we succeed how we make money you know if you take the, the blockchain technology nfts specifically for artists is eliminating eliminating the whole the whole art world industry the apparatus of the art world is just swept away the whole process happens between the artist and the collector or the artist and the viewer mm-hmm. and the artist is empowered to produce and sell his work without an art manager, a gallerist, an art dealer, you know, the cost to, to, to the artist who is for the most part, artists of the world are, you know, waiters and, you know, uh, accountants and garbage men and, you know, whatever. I mean, these are lower and middle-class people, people that are, are struggling to make ends meet Mm -hmm. to produce art Mm. and to have a show on any level. I mean, like a real show in a real gallery, you're talking about the production of the, the prints. If you are like me, I would have to produce the print. I would have to frame the print. I would have to, if the work, you know, if I had a show in Paris, cost me $25,000 to put the show on Mm. just to get the show there. And then you have to sign contracts where, you know, your, your gallery is going to take 60% of the sales and your art manager is, uh, has a percentage cut and, you know, everything that doesn't sell a lot of times their contracts are, they have, you know, there, there could be a right built into the contract where, you, you know they're buying they have the ability to buy the work at x price if it doesn't sell i mean these are things that artists deal with in the, in the everyday world and the nft market just eliminates all that mm-hmm. eliminates that i it mean that's revolutionary. My, it is revolutionary and so back to my point of you if you are into art and this is where the how nft is going to be important to begin with the, if you're into art, you are into the concept of the original, you're into the concept of artist rights, you're into the notion of this has value um, because you believe in the artist's vision, right? Mm-hmm. That you, you are accessing the dialogue that the artist starts. So an NFT, the problem that you're having is that NFT is roped into right now really still largely in the crypto concept right mm-hmm. people are the majority of people coming to nft are coming to it as speculators they don't they aren't necessarily 
you know, um, art historical buffs, art collectors, um, artists themselves, but there's a market value. However much it's speculation right now, there's already value in the market. So people are playing on that, trying to get in, trying to, you know, trying to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but the future of the NFT is going to, it's going to become as it matures, it's going to be made up and filled out with a kind of real intelligent body. You know, you're going to have the world of art collectors, the art industry itself, the artists themselves, um, even the average crypto user is going to come around to a greater understanding of art because they're, you know, this, this is an, a cultural revolution, right? And mm-hmm. there's, there's a, an aspect of the cu- cultural revolution that's in crypto itself, in blockchain technology, but then there's, this, there's a, a, um, a more erudite and, and academic and you know, historical thing happening, a precedent happening, a change, a sh- paradigm shift in the art world. And art, you know, art drives culture, especially the you know, slow change over time. It, that happens through art. So the value of the NFT, it begins with a respect for the creation or I shouldn't say the creation, but the process by which a digital art can be original. And the only way it can be original is just come into to play with the NFT, non-fungible token. It identifies it as an original. It legalizes it as an original. It's a smart contract, a legal, a legal, a legally binding contract. Mm. Okay, I got it. I got it. A, a couple of uh, people have asked me. So, like, why, why can't an artist just uh, mint the same piece on several different platforms? Or let's say they mint a one of one, could or a, a set of ten. You know, a year later, could they go back to the same platform and do another set? Or is it self-regulated like eBay? Like if you start, you know, abusing the system, people will just lose interest or how does that work? Well, it it's going to work the same way as it does in the analog art world. And that is as a photographer or, um, you know, let's say I, I work in um, aqua, you know, aqua tint, I produce prints, mm-hmm. right? Green prints, regardless of what type of printing you're working with. You are going to say, I take a, I take a series of, of screen prints to gallery for a show. Those screen prints are additioned. Let's say it's a edition of three and there on the wall is, is the one of three. Mm. And let's say one of three cells, then the two of three cells and the three of three cells. And it's sold out the edition. Mm-hmm. In that world, the responsibility is mine. And in the NFT world, the responsibility is mine. The integrity of the project, the art project of the artist, the integrity of the artist and his ability to develop a career is based on, you know, a long-standing, long-standing tradition of honoring the addition. So the NFT takes it a step farther because truly it means one of one now you it it is everybody everywhere you know there's the the mechanisms are there to 
to produce an edition of a thousand, right? Mm-hmm. But again, this is a, a personal statement. I believe that a true NFT is a one of one. Um, once you get into the edition, which there's nothing wrong with having editions, but you're breaking the code of rarity. And so that code of rarity is what drives the, the art market and ha- has always driven the art market. And it's why a painting is always going to be more valuable than a photograph or a, a, a screen print because there is only one painting. That, that's, that's where the NFT and the one of one becomes so important because it's how, it's how the NFT gains respect. It's how the NFT artist will gain respect. If, if, if I say to a collector, by my minting that it's a one of one and that collector spends thousands of dollars on that NFT art, which is a completely respectable and rational thing to do. If you believe in the art and you believe in the artist and you believe in the market. And then a year later, I produce another edition of that same NFT. I've destroyed my reputation with that collector. I've, that collector could then destroy my reputation across, you know, the whole plat, all the platforms. Mm. They're all rooted in social media. Mm. So, is there going to be fraud in this marketplace? Sure, it happens in every marketplace. But as with the traditional art world, the NFT market will be traditionalized. You're going to have to follow the sort of the silent code of ethics. It's, it's important. So people who aren't in this for the real value and cultural significance of art and, and how it can participate in transformative growth of mankind, those people have nothing to lose. They're in it for the money. Mm-hmm. But somebody like myself, I'm in this to validate NFT as, a, as the next art form, as a conceptual movement of the art market itself. Mm. This is this is what when I want to go back and run through a quick line of art history that steps up to this moment. This is not so much conceptual art, even though it does play play out here. The idea of the NFT being a conceptual art right now, and and it's in this contemporary moment, you can look at the NFT as a con, con, conceptual art. Mm-hmm. a class of its own but it's the nft marketplace is conceptualized it's the actual market is being transformed in in, in, in that way it's conceptualized right now and that's fascinating it really has never happened before on this level the art market has never changed like this so quickly there's no precedent this is this is a new precedent. Yeah, the world's changing. It really is changing quick. Uh, okay, that's good. So that's... let me let me just quickly go over this. Yeah. So you know the, the the idea of revolution, the zeitgeist revolution, in in the whole blockchain space. Where does this come from? I'd say. You know, if we're going to stay in the, in, the, in the mode of art here, you can go back, you can go back 
to like say an artist like um, uh, Arthur Rimbaud. He was a poet. Mm-hmm. Arthur Rimbaud was really the first poet to lash out against the social and cultural elite and broke all the norms. And the spirit in Rimbaud's writing went on to inspire the one of the, the great art movements of the 20th century. It was called Dada. And, you know, Dada, it rose out of the proletariat's frustration with the bourgeois elite. And in particular, with the elite institutions within the art complex of, of, the, of the day, telling, telling the, a world of what is art, what can be art, what cannot be art, what is valuable, what is not valuable. And an artist by the name of Marshall Duchamp, who famously put a urinal and signed the word, the name Mutt on the urinal, and he put it into um, an art an art show in New York City in, in, in the 1930s. And that single moment in art history completely changed the future of art. And I would say is the seed of the NFT art revolution because Dada said, no, you don't get to tell us what is art what the artist intends to be art is art. Hmm. And that idea was so radical at the time. It, it, it was preposterous that somebody could take a bicycle seat or a urinal and put that in the gallery. And so there you have the, the attitude that would eventually fuel the cypherpunks and i'll explain that but from there you know there's the, there's the seed of the attitude of the nft and in, <clears throat> in this notion of um the immaterial that people are buying something that they can't hang on their wall that how could that possibly have value but you know we you asked me before we before we got into this about what how, what gives it value. Do you remember when, when we talked yeah. about that? Yeah. And just from what you've been saying now, sorry if I get you off track, but I, I was thinking about you know you go to a garage sale and there's this magnificent painting there, but it's not signed and we don't know who made it. That that could never be sold for millions of dollars. And I think you said a couple of times today, a, a big part of art is supporting the artist. Is that? Is that why those kind of paintings would never sell for millions of dollars? Because if you don't know who the artist is, it's it's not art. Well, no, I mean, so that can, so so the traditional art market is driven by what's what's referred to as provenance. Mm-hmm. So the life, the life story of a particular work um, is extremely important to its valuation. I mean, you're going to have, you know, the, the, a, a critical apparatus is going to determine what are, 
what are the most significant works of an artist's career? What are his or hers masterpieces? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's part of valuation. But s- the idea that something would sell that was anonymous, it it would have to have a proven, um, it would have to be proven. It would have to have proven pedigree in order for it to, to be sold at auction. I mean, anybody can sell anything to anyone, whether or without a name. Mm-hmm. But for anything, any work to succeed in the in the analog art world, it, it has to have a traceable lineage. And this is also where the blockchain comes in. And so built into the NFT revolution is an immutable life story of provenance, where, who bought the work, who bought the NFT from me, who did that person sell the NFT to, the price at which it sold for. So price development in the market is being documented and and, and put on the blockchain. All of this, again, it's immutable. It cannot be changed. It cannot be defrauded. And, and this is extraordinary because in outs, outside of the NFT, in the analog world, you know, the, his, art history is just riddled with stories of defrauding. Mm-hmm. You know, the art's fake. I mean, there's, there are documentaries and movies made about, you know, uh, art, you know art fake. It, it's like unbelievable. But nothing can be faked around this you know around the idea of the nft it cannot be fake it's minted by the artist and it's purchased by somebody and then they retain the rights and everything's documented so it's extraordinary like that mm-hmm. but to your point it value value is to a certain extent always determined by the beholder okay does that answer your question yeah it does but but generally what what the beholder finds valuable is is identifying the artist that made it and there being some some story behind it usually people aren't that interested in paintings that they don't know who painted them okay, back back True. to back to back to the the ledger of who's bought and sold the nfts just uh just quickly so there's a lot of anonymity or you know there's a ledger of wallet addresses but we don't know who who owns the or controls those wallets is that going to present issues or not really um it, it's not because the, the the market's in sympathy and as as it matures again you're going to see and right now i think that the larger art market their larger art you know world is much like the hedge funds were with crypto for the last five years, sitting on the sidelines, watching, waiting, and strategizing, you know, the right time and the right way to bring, you know, the, the traditional finance world into this radical experiment. You know, what was a radical experiment is now being adopted. You can buy mm-hmm. Tesla with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, PayPal you know, is accepting cryptocurrencies as forms of payment, you know, all most of that major head funds have, are, have gotten involved at, at the very least with Bitcoin. So um, that's where we are with the NFT market. I see us being probably, I, no, I think the growth rate 
is going to be exponential relevant to what we already, you know, we saw that, what, how many years was it? 2011 to 2020 was the f- sort of floodgates broke mm-hmm. um, on adoption. Yeah, I think you're going to see a, a, an accelerated timeline for adoption with NFTs. I mean, right now, these platforms are all still being, you know, I'm on, you know, uptick platform and that's, that's in testnet, um, you know, uh, Twincy, a lot of these platforms that are going to be um, what native coin driven, which is fantastic because it gets you away from the ether gas uh, issue, but poses other problems because uh, you have less universality and, um, you know, transferring your collectibles from wallet to wallet. Uh, you know, you have to stay in the native coin wallets. But yeah, I think you're going to see adoption very quickly. The, and your, to, your, to your question, it, that's the problem now. But it will all find its way toward, you know, sense and sensibility. Like it will come together there you'll, you'll traditions will form um, regulations to a certain extent will come in. But at the end of the day, the people that are participating in the NFT market that matter, the artists, the collectors and the institutions that ultimately will come in, they're going to be above board. They're going to want to develop the provenance of the market. Provenance is going to drive the NFT market in the same way that it has driven the analog market. It just is going to come down the road. And right now we are in that wild, wild west of where we were with crypto five years ago. And that'll probably take two or three years to really settle. I see. I see. I, I, I agree. I think it'll it'll be get bigger and bigger. Like you were saying before, it cost you what, $25,000 to put that show on in Paris. And, uh, and a lot of artists, they got to rent the studio space, set everything up. And now if you can just pop a bunch of things on uptick or one of these other platforms, it's, you know, you can do it from your bedroom. You don't have to spend all that money. And then so many more people can see it, right? It's like, it's like Amazon marketplace or it's, there's an unlimited potential there for getting your, your workout. I had a couple you know, of questions. Yeah. Well, just, just to your point to put it into perspective, I um I really started dedicating myself to moving over my art career into the NFT uh, because I believe in it. I really believe in the space and I think it's you know a perfect fit for myself. But in a short span of five weeks, you know, I have developed a serious following um, across multiple platforms and have sold or I don't know, maybe almost a hundred works. Wow. In, in five weeks. In five, you know, and, and think about what that, I mean, I, I should say, let me tell you what that means. You know, I probably sold a hundred works through galleries over the last 20 years. Hmm. I've sold a hundred works through NFT platforms in the last five weeks. Yeah. There's nothing like this. This is a, a precedent setting moment in history that is going to make it a viable career option for artists. 
Yeah, totally. Yep. I got a couple, I think we're uh, getting a little long on the time here, but a couple other things I want to ask you. I'll put it all together and see see if we can get through it. One is the different platforms. You know, you mentioned Uptick. There's some others. I just kind of wanted to hear your take on, I don't know, what's good, what isn't good. You you mentioned the gas fees is kind of prohibitively yeah. expensive. And then also I wanted to get it all in at once here. Uh, just talk about the different people making NFTs now. Like I guess there, I imagine there's some people like some some people using paint and then they take a picture and then they create that into an nft or people are just making these crypto punk images or your your style is totally unique like i want to know kind of what you do and what what the norm is and then and then i think we'll just about be done with the interview okay yeah so for those of for anyone that's hearing this and is is teetering on getting into the nft market as an artist or a collector so right now the front runners are going to be OpenSea and Rarible. These are on the Ethereum blockchain. They're driven by uh, Ethereum for gas. You, they're the most, they're the most functional, um, intelligent by design uh, spaces to work right now. That's why they're leading the marketplace um, by membership. So if you're you set up your account, you're going to link. You're going to link, open your account and link it to your, your wallet, whether it's MetaMask or Trust, and that will open you immediately to being able to explore the marketplace on OpenSea or Rarible and all of the platforms that are out now and all the platforms that will come out. They, setting up an account it, for all of them just involves connecting your wallet. And then from there, you can you know, elaborate on your profile, you know, upload identity pictures, et cetera. For the artist, the experience on OpenSea and Rarible is smooth. It's really flawless. Uh, I understand why the majority of serious artists um, or, you know, I would say, I want to say serious artists, but that's, they're, they're, they're gravitating toward that because of, of its seamless, uh, sort of perfect mechanical uh, accessibility. And it's quick. It's very quick, but it's expensive, depending on, you know, relative to how you, you know, what you can afford to um, pay to mint your art pieces into NFT. You know, typically, depending on the time of day, the gas prices on Rarible or OpenSea are going to range between, say, $35 up to $150. Depends on how, uh, how combustible the, I mean, how busy the Ether uh, blockchain is. Mm-hmm. Then around those two, uh, you have all of these native blockchains that are launching projects. Like I'm right now uh, waiting to launch on Refinable, which is, you know, that's launching on Binance, Binance Desk, uh, Dex. I am already very active and have been for the last five weeks on Uptick Project, which is uh, at the, uh, on the Iris protocol uh, off of Cosmos. And uh, that's been an extraordinary experience for me. Um, so there your, your gas is, it, it, you know, again, it's a native blockchain. So there the gas is, is paid and the work is bought in, with Iris. Um, on Refinable, it's going, the native coin is going to be fine. And, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to sell your work for fine and you're going to use fine for uh, your gas. So, the, the, you know, that's sort of 
the, the, the gist, right? Mm-hmm. You have native blockchains with native coins that are going to be less expensive for the artists to work on and the, and the collectors to, to buy on. But the downside is, at least early on, um, you know, eventually I think there's going to be some uh, integration across all these platforms and uh, you're going to have aggregate, you know, aggregator sites that um, will, will launch that will bring all of the different native blockchains and their collectibles and everything will be in one place that doesn't exist right now. So you, if you are selling your work or, or you, you're buying work on the native blockchains, that work can only be sold then again on that particular native blockchain. And it can only be held in wallets that are exclusive to those blockchains. So that's, that's a downside right now. Um, so the upside then to Rarible and the cost uh, inefficiency is that that within that the Ethereum network, there are many different, uh, you know, uh, mint, uh, what is it, um, mint, uh, I can't think of it. There, anyway, there's five or six different uh, NFT marketplaces that all aggregate and all you can then resell if you're a collector on any of these other Ethereum network sites, all of the Ethereum based wallets, uh, you can transfer collectibles between, and so that you know that's that's why they're leading the marketplace right now. And then the sort of next step up, which is where you get into where art institutions are already gravitating. You saw the uh, the Sotheby's auctioning off of a Beeple uh, digital work for sixty nine million dollars. You know uh, that happened at a at a private sort of NFT auction place. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this realm, there's super rare, uh, there's foundation, um, known origin, I think is, is going to sort of pedal in, in, in more elite sort of application only, um, artists being represented. I mean, I'm in the process of applying to all of the, all of the, the, uh, the upper echelon houses. Uh, most of them are only taking on four or five artists a week right now. So there's like oh. a long, um, and you, you just kind of have to wait to be selected. So right now I'm actually, I think, um, hopefully I'm going to be selected to be one of the artists at the launch of Refinable, which is also going to have an application process to, to, to be getting on there, which is good. I like that. I like that better than, um, you know, the open sea or the rareable where, you know, it's sort of a, uh, just a public marketplace and anybody can put anything they want up there. Uh, you know, and yeah, there's 250,000 people on there every day, but it, you know, it comes with its ups and downs. Yeah. So that, if that helps on the, the yeah, idea. Totally. Yeah. All the different options. And what else? So the, the, the work that you do and uh, you know, the whole gamut, if, if people are, doing oil painting and then digitizing it or is everyone just uh what are most people making and selling as nfts and then what 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 are you some of your techniques and what what are you what are you doing um well i mean true to the sort of you know history of blockchain going back to the cypherpunks and obviously satoshi as this sort of cultural hero uh weighing on everybody's mind there's there's a lot of pop art sensibility you know popular culture 
right? That's mm-hmm. what's sort of dominating the marketplace right now. You're seeing, you know, if you go back, remember CryptoKitties. I mean, that that's where it's sort of like, you know, the real uh, takeoff in, in, in the idea of collectibles uh, on the blockchain started. Um, but I don't really think like much, like I said earlier, everything is developing now. Everything is in flux. Everything is going to move toward um, standardization, you're, you know, or compartmentalization where, you know, you're going to find just hobbyists and, you know, people that are, you know, making the, the, the next knockoff, you know, hyperpixelated unicorn, um, that stuff's going to probably just end up staying in Rarible and OpenSea. I think long-term you're going to see these giant public marketplaces just being like, you know, going to the flea market, mm-hmm. um, the artists that are trying to really contribute to the development as a fine art market are going to be gravitating toward toward markets that are coming and markets that have already exist that focus on rarity that ensure rarity um and that sort of vet the the personas that are behind the works that are being minted and being auctioned off um that that's going to that's going to become a, will be an important part of the process uh, so it, it's, it's hard to say categorically what is happening as far as what art is is what what, what art is coming what art is here you know again everybody's just playing with the, with the technology right now uh, and that's mostly what you're seeing i i actually have a lot of really good friends who are exceptional artists in a lot of different realms and most of them are not ready to come uh they're they're like you like we started in this this whole conversation wrapping your head around the concept having faith in it i I mean i don't (laughs) i don't have any trouble with it but a lot of artists do but that's going to change you know and a lot of it a lot of it people are waiting for the art institutions to come on board the more they come on board, the more traditional artists are going to come on board. You're seeing some international superstars in the art world have stepped in. Bansky, uh, Bansky sold uh, uh, one of his recent works. He minted an NFT of it and then uh, burned it, you know, as a public show of protest against the traditional art market and his, him saying or him embracing uh, the NFT as a valid uh, a valid place for artists like him, you know, who's who's now widely institutionalized. He's held in every museum in the world. Uh, Damien Hirst, a uh, very very prominent uh, living artist out of England, uh, is jumping into the NFT market, and I think you're just going to start to see one at a time. You know, it's interesting. Damien Hirst and Bansky, they're both kind of like, you know. Um, far left thinking, you know, slightly radical minds. And it, it, you're seeing the risk takers taking the risk, mm-hmm. right? So that's what we're seeing right now is the risk takers are taking the risk, just like in the early days of crypto in general. And as we move forward, institutions will come in standardizing, you know, validating, and then you're going to see the floodgates open. Uh, with regard to my own work, I was so, thinking just now, maybe like the, the yeah. layer, the layering that you do, you could talk about mm-hmm. that, what you try to achieve. Sure. Well, so part of it is that I'm 
I'm sitting on probably 5,000 works captured uh, digitally on a large, large format out uh, camera, the Nikon 800 over the last, you know, dozen years, all of my tradition, all of my art catalog is there in space, right? It's all that immaterial content is just sitting there. And, you know, I walked away from art when my brother passed away from a heroin addiction in 2018. I, I tore down my studio and turned it into a, a family room. And I, he was a big supporter of mine and I didn't think I could ever do it again. You know, one of the reasons that I decided to come back into the arts was because of this notion that the immaterial does not have value um, or couldn't possibly have the value like that, say the $69 million that people sold his work for. But what is most valuable to just about everybody listening, I, I encourage you to think of this. What is most valuable in your life is immaterial. You know, consciousness is immaterial. Your love for your children, your love for your wife, your memories of your deceased loved ones, trust in your peers to do the right thing, trust in the driver coming down the road, faith in God. I mean, so much of our life is driven, you know, emotively, you know, psychologically and spiritually by the immaterial. And so for somebody to say, there's no value in the immaterial, value is immaterial itself. The concept is in, is in the abstract. Mm -hmm. So I had this thought my, about two months ago about the NF. I was thinking about NFTs and about this idea of value in the immaterial. And I said, my God, my brother now is immaterial. Mm -hmm. I can't see my brother. I, can't, I mean, I can't hug my brother. But the, the, his value has only increased by his death. And that profound thought, I thought, you know, this marketplace is that real for me. There is, in, there's no more value in, I'm sorry, there's no less value for me in the NFT art that is original by its signature on the blockchain that, it, that there's, it's no less valuable than in buying up for me, buying a painting at a gallery. That's a one of one painting. If I'm putting up a one of one of a digital original, that is to me as valuable as a painting. And I think the market is going to agree with me over time. Um, but go to your point about the work. So I have this whole body of work that I walked away from and it's all uh, stored digitally in, in master files. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to utilize those strikingly original uh, works because of the process that I invented and pushed into a genuine art form that was accepted you know, and shown in galleries all around the world. That is so much, there's so much information in those files that's unique so much you know signatures of energy textures things that i discovered along the way as an analog artist that's precious i mean it's just precious beautiful detail that you can't find you i had to make it 
Yeah. And it, it's made and it's sitting there, you know, and I wanted to sort of honor all of that work by bringing it back into new digital creations, focusing on the themes that matter to me, which is, you know, sort of separate from the aesthetics that we're talking about now. And I am able to do that as all digital artists know through Photoshop and layering. So I can bring in one, two, 10, 25 different works from my past to give them new life as I'm trying to make a new statement about something in our time and place on a daily basis. And I'm utilizing that old work, like I would utilize the you know, burning of watercolor on a metal plate or the acceleration of the oxidation where I'm, I'm specifically want to use this work for a color palette, or I want to use this work for a textural palette, or I want to use this work because of its ambient light. And in this new work, as I'm developing them every day, it's actually, it's amazing how in, in five weeks, it's literally, I've sort of developed a whole process approach to uh, giving life to new works, you know, and then the, the subject matter is a whole other story. I mean, if, if I'm working, depending on what series we're in, you know, it can be anywhere from meditative to philosophical to sort of like a hard knock, you know, uh, streetwise um, protest piece or, or, you know, the I, I, I really love Redux where, you know, you're bringing a focus back through art historical precedents and, you know, reinterpreting them. Uh, in in new in new pieces, and I have a series I call art historical uh, uh, art. I'm say a historical artifacts. The whole point of a historical is out, you know, not of history or not stuck in history, right? Out of history mm-hmm. and artifacts. These are these sort of like relics that I'm bringing life to, and you know, so that's that's become a huge part of my process. That everything that you see that's new is all built out of the old and are where the old meets a new subject matter or the old meets a new focal point. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, uh, I think for this interview, uh, that's about all I've got. I hope we can do this regularly, weekly or, or twice a month or something. Uh, before we end, are there any other topics or uh, things you want to say about uh, what you've got lined up or something we missed? Um, yeah, you asked me the question about what is art. Yeah. And I, my favorite quote, about what is art is uh, one of my favorite quotes is Alberto Giacometti. He said, the object of art is not to reproduce reality, but to create a reality of the same intensity or more intense. And I love that because, you know, (sighs) reality is not immutable. You know what I mean? We're talking about blockchain. Reality, you know, I would love for this to be a future, a future topic because actually I, maybe I won't, this is too much to say all at once here, but I'll just leave you with that. The object of art is not to reproduce reality, but to create a reality of the same intensity or greater. I'd like to pick up from there next time we talk. Okay.
and you think we can do this uh, weekly or a couple times a month? As often as I have time, brother. <laughs>